Today's episode of Locked on Phoenix Suns is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, and they're all launching exclusively for you on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Phoenix Suns. I am your host, Brendan Clean. We are a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On PHX Suns. You can follow me on Twitter and at the Locker Room app at Brendan Clean 14. I will be doing a recap episode of the Lakers game on Wednesday night on the Locker Room app. Do not miss it. If you like the show, if you are a listener coming back, welcome back, first of all, and go ahead and drop a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Helps us out a lot, helps more Suns fans just like yourself find the show ahead of what should be an incredible season. If it's your first time, welcome. Chris Paul is a Phoenix Sun, and we are excited here on Locked on Suns. I hope that more and more of you are uh getting excited. I hope that the doom and gloom preseason stuff is all gone and that you are ready to get into more preview content. And that is exactly what we have for you today. Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation, the longtime NBA writer and editor over there, is on today's show talking Suns, the Chris Paul trade, their playoff chances, but most of all, the top 25 players of 2025. A fun exercise that the SB Nation crew has done for a long time. The site, unfortunately, is not what it used to be, but they all reconvened on Mike Prada's Limited Upside podcast with Ben Epstein talking exactly that, a draft of the 25 best players in the NBA in 2025. Booker was a top 15 finisher. We talked, was Booker too high, too low? What surprised us? What's interesting about an exercise like this? And what does DeAndre Ayton have to do? to catch up with, keep up with even, the big men that did make the list. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell. All right, here with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation to talk not necessarily uh, something that originated on his own podcast, but as a participant in the semi-regular draft of the best 25 players sometime down the line in the future in the NBA. I wanted to bring you on, Ricky, because uh, over on Mike Prada's Limited Upside pod, you guys got the SB Nation band back together to draft through some of the players that you think could be at the top of the league, the very best come 2025. And top was Luka Doncic, but from there it got a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, uh, I, I guess there was some disagreement Trey Young went number two, Giannis number three, Anthony Davis four, and Zion Williamson to round out the top five. So what I wanted to ask you, Ricky, to start off is just what were your biggest surprises from doing the exercise this time around uh, compared to years past? Or just what what do you kind of take away when you guys have done this before? 
Yeah, it was funny. So we did it the first time in 2017. We tried to rank the top players in 2021. And, uh, you know, people started like recirculating that list. You can still find it if you're good enough with Google. Uh, and, you know, we, we had some things right on that 2021 list. Uh, Anthony Davis went number one. Giannis went number two. But then it quickly got off the rails, right? And I think I really had a lot of responsibility in blowing it for that original 2017 draft for 2021 because I took Carl Towns with the third pick. Uh, that didn't work out too well. Towns, obviously a great player. He's probably, what did you say, a top 15 player in the league still. Uh, but, you know, he didn't climb quite as high as I thought he would. The very obvious move there would have been to take either Kevin Durant or LeBron James. And... I didn't do that. I took Carl Town. So I think that, uh, you know, going over the list we did in 2017 for 2021, now it's, uh, it's, it's just a really funny exercise. And you can see uh, where we made a bunch of mistakes. And the way this list was put together is we basically just did like a draft, right? So back in 2017, there was 10 of us. This year, I think there was five of us. And we just determined a draft order. And it wasn't like we were drafting for teams. We were all like, yeah. you know we were basically all just drafting for the list and trying to take, you know, the best guy at every spot. So yeah, this year, uh, Christian Winfield, my former colleague now, at, uh, he's writing for the New York post, I believe. Correct. Uh, Christian had the second pick and he took Trey young number two. So I'm sorry, Christian's at the New York daily news. So when Christian took Trey young number two, it was like, well, this thing's going totally off the rails. And that's exactly what happened. I happened to have the third pick in this. Uh, and I took uh, Giannis after Luca went number one. So I figured, you know, the first three picks would be Luca, Giannis, and Anthony Davis. And we just kind of did it from there. And uh, it was interesting because, like, we didn't really get a ton of time to, like, research this. It was very much just sort of like a stream of consciousness thing. And this is a Suns podcast, so I can only assume you want to talk about Devin Booker's placement in here. And uh, yeah. what I, one thing I will say is, like, the planning doc we were looking at was sorted by PER, which, of course, uh, in 2020 is not exactly the best all-in-one metric for evaluating players. So that's why Trey got taken second. He was, like, sitting up there at the top of the dock. There wasn't enough scrolling done. Well, that might be it. I'm not going <laughs> to take, uh, you know tried to defend Christian on this one. Like Christian's got to back up that pick. Not me. We all thought it was totally crazy when he said Trey young with the second pick over Giannis over AD uh, over a lot of other guys. But yeah, I mean, that's just, that's kind of the idea behind it. Right. Is that like all of these lists have been coming out uh, for the best players right now. And we thought it might be fun to try to do it for the best players four years from now. So that sort of sparked the idea behind yeah. the list. This was the third time we've done it. And uh, looking back at previous examples of the list, you can tell that, uh, you know, we've made some mistakes in the future, but I, I, I wouldn't give our last one like totally failing marks. Like all in all, I still think we did a pretty decent job, but certainly uh, it could have been better. No, it is always funny to kind of look back though. You know, one of the things that's interesting about it is to see who kind of got the token like high school prospect pick in the top 10 or 15, usually kind of in that 11 to 15 range. The last time you guys did it, it looks like it was Marvin Bagley and that would have made total sense back then. Obviously, you know, it hasn't panned out. It would, it would certainly be Zion taking that, that place probably now. Uh, and then this year 
when you did it on the podcast, that was Cade Cunningham kind of getting that, I guess, James Wiseman too, as a, as a rookie. So that's always one of the more interesting parts is to see does what, you know, does that highly thought of recruit actually make good come, you know, the time four years down the line when, when, you know, when, when it becomes the present, but one of the guys that stood out to me uh, was was Donovan Mitchell being down at 22, and especially as we talk about Devin Booker, which we'll get to in the next segment, is just that's a guy who's often compared to Devin Booker. They're they're kind of thought of as similar players. Obviously, they are being you know two guards who uh, you know kind of affect the game in the same way as mostly scorers, playmakers, not so much in the defense department, and uh, haven't <clears throat> haven't necessarily emerged as elite top ten players yet. So I was surprised to see Donovan Mitchell eight spots lower than Booker. Um, and Jamal Murray, another guy who's often lumped in there, was in the top ten. That was another pick by by Christian. But you know, I think that does to me kind of seem like I guess where the consensus is on those three guys right now that Murray's a little bit ahead of the pack, maybe because of the playoffs last year, Booker maybe a little bit ahead of Mitchell just because of kind of the separation he's put together in terms of efficiency and everything. But we'll get into the Booker specifics. I'm just curious if there's anything like that as you look at this 20, the 25 players you guys put together that you drafted, who stood out to you as maybe somebody who uh, was probably a little too low even a few days after the exercise as you look back at it. Yeah, well, I immediately was like, how did we not draft Jock? Like that just would have been like a safe pick, right? Like sure. I'll say that when Ja was in the draft, I wasn't super high on him. Uh, obviously I was wrong. He was immediately awesome and basically performed in terms of like his efficiency at high usage rates. He was basically a star as a rookie. I think he fit the criteria for a star. There's no doubt. He had dramatic impact on team success, was an efficient player despite carrying high usage. So I was like, how do we not take Ja? And I will blame myself a lot for this because I had the opportunity to take Ja twice at the end of the draft. I took Steph Curry once. That was the one who I was kind of regretting a couple days later. Right. Or like even when the podcast ended, because you know, you want to just sort of like team. Yeah. Yeah. I took him at 18. Uh, And you know, there were some good players still on the board at that point. I took, uh, you know, I took him over James Harden. uh, And I think, you know, on that podcast, we actually had a, a really good discussion about Curry that, you know, I immediately agreed with. I think it was Prada who said it. He was like, you know, I think that Steph will go down as like, you know, the most influential player since Jordan, but uh, he's influenced so many players that like, is his advantage over his peers going to continue to r- remain so distinct? And I think that's totally a fair uh, way of looking at Steph. I also think that, you know, like d- at Steph's peak, I think that a lot of critics tried to take shots at his game by like criticizing his defense, whereas his defense was actually pretty good back in the day. Like he was a pretty complete all around player, but as he gets older, I mean, it's very likely that his defense could fall off. So I was kind of regretting the Curry pick Uh, in that. I even said at the time, it was kind of like a YOLO pick. I think in my head, I was just thinking like, well, Steph's the best shooter ever shooting will age pretty well. Uh, what age was he going to be there? 36? Yeah, 36. Was Nash still good at 36 or was Nash done by 36? Nash was still going at 36. I think that was like the tail end of those, you know, seven or eight years where they were contenders every every year. Yeah, and, he, uh, you know, Steph was only going to be, you know, 
he, I only put him at like 18 on the list, I think. So it's not like I was saying he was going to be the best player alive. But I thought, you know, potentially the back end of the top 20 could be realistic. But I am kind of regretting that one. Uh, and then, I, you know, I came into the draft wanting to take Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And so I took him with my last pick. I think that was in the late 20s. Uh, but looking at it now, I'm like, uh, you know, maybe Shea will be better than Ja. I took Shea at 23, but, uh, Morant was the guy who sort of jumped out to me as the guy we should have taken earlier. But yeah, I mean, there were some wild picks in this, uh, mostly because of Christian. He's the one who took Jamal Murray's seventh, Trey Young's second and And Wiseman and Wiseman. Right. Ridiculous. Just totally crazy. But I think you were right to identify Murray, Booker, and Mitchell as like sort of all being in the same group. And you said that your perception of the national media is that Murray is sort of seen in the greatest light out of those three. Like Murray's seen as the best from the national media right now. Yeah, uh, I would disagree with that. I would say Booker is seen as the You think best. so? I think so. I guess I'm just saying that because I personally feel like, you know, a guy who did it in kind of the perception being that he played an instrumental role in getting his team to the conference finals, whereas Booker hasn't even played in a playoff game. Uh, I don't know if that is would account for a seven spot gap between Murray and Booker. I certainly don't think Murray should have gone seventh here, but um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, I mean, Booker did make an all-star team last year. And I, I do think that the pendulum has kind of swung for him a little bit where he's probably more well-respected than, than he has been in a while. I guess it's just, it's always tough for me to gauge because I feel like as people who follow the Suns, it it can kind of be the, you're almost having to defend the guy so much that maybe I underrate how well others think of him at this point, but let's take a quick break actually. And then let's get into Devin Booker. Guys, things might be a little bit stressful for you right now, but you actually don't need a ton of money to reconnect with yourself. You can start to improve nearly every aspect of your life with only your phone and a little headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use digital app. Headspace is the one is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed, like I said, well, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation just for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do right along with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is perfect for me. I'm not going to lie. It has been a stressful year. Uh, It has been a year of... Uh, losing a job, getting a new one, stopping this podcast, starting this podcast again. Uh, and I'm sure that's only a little bit compared to what some of you have gone through. And trust me, I'm a, I understand and I'm here for you guys. Headspace is exactly the answer. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 user reviews of five stars, and over 60 million total downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, and anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. That is all one word, the name of our network. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free 
one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Of SB Nation talking best 25 players in the NBA in the year 2025, uh, specifically Devin Booker at number 14. Booker, of course, will be 28 years old come the 2025-26 NBA season. So uh, 14 felt a little bit low to me, but I guess I don't have that many nits to pick with who finished above him, um, except for probably James Wiseman. Um, but tell me, as we were talking in that last segment, why you think Booker, I guess it's kind of hard to like read the minds of the zeitgeist of the entire national media, but um, you, you kind of said that you think Booker is probably more well-respected or thought of in a, in a better light than Murray, even though Murray's had some more playoff success. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I had the pick right before Booker. I didn't even see Booker on the list because he was way down on the PER rankings. It was like, why were we doing this based off PER? Or that was just like one sorting mechanism. And Booker had never made All NBA. I think was one of the other. Is that true? I don't think that no, was never an- made an All NBA. You're right. Yeah, All Star was his first All Star appearance was last year, and he was an injury replacement. So that was the other sorting mechanism that we had looking at most recent All NBA teams. So Booker. Didn't hit that one either. But I had the pick right before Booker and took Towns. And, you know, it's really weird to discuss Carl Towns right now when you're just trying to talk about basketball when he's sustained so much personal loss because of the pandemic. Um, I think, you know, all of us are heading into this NBA season really rooting for Carl Towns. I think, you know, obviously his mom passed away because of the virus. I think he said he had seven people and his family yeah. passed away because of it. Just absolutely. That video of him pregame in the preseason was brutal. It's yeah, it's, it's hard not to feel for and root for that guy right now. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and I've always been a huge towns fan. Obviously I took him third in the last, uh, last time we did this, but like I might've taken Booker over towns. I probably would have. So I think Booker could have gone ahead of a lot of these guys. I think obviously he should have gone ahead of Wiseman. He should have gone ahead of, I would have taken him ahead of Murray and I, you know, him versus Trey young is kind of interesting. I don't know who I really would have went with there. I would have been tempted to go with Booker there, though. Uh, but really, it just shows you how the bubble affected the perception of a lot of guys. Like you talked about Murray. You said, like, you know, I think you thought that Murray was now considered to be the most highly touted of the young shooting guards in the league because he was so dynamic in the bubble. Well, Murray never even averaged 20 a game in the regular season. He was popping off for, you know, 50-point games in the bubble. Uh, same could really be said for Booker, only the Suns didn't qualify for the playoffs. Well, that's not Booker's fault because while Damian Lillard was the MVP of the bubble, I mean, Booker was every bit as good as Lillard and as any player in the bubble. Obviously, the Suns go undefeated. They dug themselves a little bit too big of a hole to get into the playoffs. But, you know, you got to be thinking heading into this season, Booker is going to be set for just an absolutely phenomenal year. Uh, when you look at the way OKC dropped out of the playoff race, the way the Rockets are probably likely to drop out of the playoff race. Uh, there's definitely some upward mobility for the Suns team to, you know, break what I think is a 10-year drought for making the playoffs and to possibly jump up into the top five. I don't think it's going to be easy because the West is still super stacked. Uh, but, you know, coming into the year, they're at least competing with Dallas and the Trailblazers and, uh, you know, that middle tier of the West, I would say, besides for the two LA teams, I'd put the Nuggets ahead of them right now for sure. 
and then, you know, you could just go down the line. But I do think that this is going to be just a gigantic year for Booker and the year where he can really sort of stake his reputation as, you know, one of the brightest young players in the league if you don't, if he's not viewed in that light already. I, I totally agree. I, my, one of the takes that I thought was hot coming in and then I heard repeated and realized it wasn't was that he this would be the year that he might get some down ballot MVP votes here and there uh, if things went as well as you said, which is, you know, maybe like best case scenario, they host the first round, you know, they get a four seat or something. They're winning, you know, most of the time Booker's scoring 30 a night or whatever it's going to be for him and the accolades will inevitably start to come as the best scorer on a, on a pretty, pretty good team. Um, I've seen that kind of echoed other places. So I guess maybe that's something other people agree with me on, but um, what, what I kind of think about it on an, in an exercise like this is like, obviously what does a guy have to do to kind of increase when it, when we get to 2025, what will have had to happen for somebody to outperform where we're kind of thinking they're going to slot in right now. And it's particularly kind of interesting to have a conversation like that about somebody like Booker with his, his style, because you could look at him aside from the fact that he's so young and think that it's almost difficult to see what he can do within his game to, to add to it aside from just doing it in a winning capacity, right? Like he's about as efficient as anyone in the league right now. He's already scoring almost 30 a night. He's a pretty good playmaker. Although I do think that's one area where he could use some, some touching up. If this is a guy who's like acting as a real point guard down the, down the line, that, that kind of changes things. Obviously we know the defense can get better, but like there's plenty of two guards who don't defend at an elite level who are just fine. And so I, I guess I'm, what I'm asking you is when you think about when you were doing this exercise, when you heard Booker's name call and, and when you think about the season he's going to have, what ways do you think he needs to impact the game more to, to rise above 14th? Because you could kind of look at him as this is what he's going to do. He's just going to do it for a long time and that'll be pretty good. But how do you think he gets better? I got an answer for you that you might not be expecting. I think he can get significantly better as a shooter. Last year, he took 5.7 attempts per game and hit 35%. The year before, he took 6.5 attempts per game from three, hit 32%. The year before, he took 7.1 attempts per game from three and hit 38%. All right, let's get Booker up to like nine attempts per game. Mm -hmm. What what was Luka and what was Harden last year, right? Like that's probably the level where Booker could end up just in terms of value. Yeah, a volume because those Doncic and and Harden actually aren't that efficient on them. They just take so many that their overall efficiency benefits from it. Right. So Luca took nine a game, hit you know thirty one and a half percent from three last year. But here's the thing: Devin Booker is a better shooter than those guys. I think Booker hit ninety two percent of his free throws last year. Doncic hit seventy five percent. So I think that Booker has room to increase both his volume significantly and his accuracy significantly and it's easy for me to say i'm just some nerd who's sitting here in chicago but like you know we in bulls fans say the same thing about larry markinen larry markinen is considered to be a very good shooter but like he only hits 34 percent of his threes he's volume isn't that high so is he actually that good of a shooter i actually think that booker is a legit shooter mostly because he's so sick as a free throw shooter so that would lead me to believe that he can actually improve his 
three-point shooting ability. But, like, in my head, Booker's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. Would you agree with that statement? I would. I do, I do appreciate, never, though. Go ahead. He's never even hit 39%, though. Yeah, no, and but you're right to you're right to point out the free throw percentage is what I was going to say because most people will say, "Oh, we won the three-point contest," which is just a pet peeve of mine. That does not tell us anything about a player's quality as a shooter. But what I what I highlighted and it's I I I like that you mentioned the shooting because uh that was one of the things I I talked about when I was talking about Booker on an earlier show a couple of weeks ago is pull-up threes especially if you really dial into the numbers, he's uh, never really been even above average at. And that's that's an area where obviously we've seen so many star players add to their game. And uh, that that could be the difference for him between, you know, uh, I guess like we we're talking about, between being an all-star and being, you know, a real, you know, number one on a title team or something like that. Yeah, seems like the easiest way, you know, to me, just looking at his statistical profile, following his game, like it would be unrealistic to expect he becomes great at defense, right? Like, Zach Levine, it's the same thing. Levine and Booker are somewhat similar players. And I don't know how it is with Booker in terms of his offseason quotes, but every year Zach says the right things. He's always like, yeah, I got to get better at defense. I'm doing this. I'm working out like this, changing all the processes to see if he can get better results on the defensive end. Zach Levine, just he's bad at defense. Like, I don't really think there's anything he could really do to be better at defense. Uh, it's mostly just like an awareness thing with him. And I don't know how you feel about the same thing with Booker, but uh, sometimes you just got to get better at your strengths than get better at your weaknesses. And with Booker, if I'm looking at a way for him to really rise up the echelon, hit 40% of your threes, up the volume, and it's very difficult to do, obviously, but if Devin Booker is truly one of the very, very, very best shooters in the NBA, like top five shooter, top three shooter, he should probably be able to do it because he gets older. I mean, he's got lots of experience now. He's still only 24. He just turned 24. So, yeah, I would like to see him improve his volume and accuracy from three-point range. There we go. All right. Well, we'll get into a little bit more big-picture Sunstock. I also want to see where where and if DeAndre Ayton was on the radar for the top 25 in 2025 discussion. Let's take another quick break first. On top of everything else, for me, 2020 – has also included planning a wedding. Yes, imagine planning a wedding with your fiance, which is supposed to be exciting during a year where just about everything is completely and in, in entirely up in the air. Uh, to me, that sounds like hitting a wall. Uh, it has been, uh, to say the least, sometimes you just smack right into it, for better or worse. And that is why I love Built Go. Built Go is the healthy replacement for your energy drink, but not a fake energy, but a lasting and natural energy to get you powered through that wall, whether it's mental or physical wall, break through it with Built Go every single day. Easy to take in one and a half ounce packages that you can take on the golf course, in your briefcase, or in your pocket, wherever you go. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market, just like a five-hour energy without the crash or a monster energy drink with better results and less caffeine. Three delicious flavors for Built Go, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate mint. So they are delicious. They do not taste like medicine or chemicals or whatever. They taste like delicious desserts. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein in addition to beta alanine, B3, honey, and a little kick of caffeine, as well as your B6 and B12. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. So this stuff 
makes you look better too, in addition to getting you all the energy and nutrients that you need. Visit BuiltGo.com right now to break through your wall and use the promo code LOCKED at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Again, promo code LOCKED at checkout for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. All right, let's close out the show with DeAndre Ayton to start off with here, Ricky, because uh, one of the things that I also feel like these this this top 25 exercise can, or the I guess last time it was 101, but that the exercise can teach us is who we kind of think are going to become the, like, who are the symbols of how basketball will change. And what I mean by that is last time around, you guys had Towns high, you had Porzingis high, you even had a guy like Thon Maker, I think at 55, uh, who was... Basically, I think that was probably around his, his first or second season in the league at that point. And, you know, I guess Porzingis probably did not, he's not the fourth best player, but he, he you know, he, he's obviously f- kind of fulfilled that promise. Towns has, maybe not to the same extent, but, but he's obviously a great player. And it is, they are a little bit of a symbol of uh, offensive big men who can do a little bit of everything, unicorns, as we've kind of worn out the term. But I would say the better examples of how the game actually came to change maybe were more of the playmaking guys like Bam or Nikola Jokic, you know, when it was all said and done. And now we're here in 2021. And, and those guys seem to be maybe more likely to be uh, the symbols of, of what big men are. So wh- all that to say, um, how, how does DeAndre Ayton fit into you? Because a lot of the, con- one of the conversations I really liked on the podcast you guys did was about Joel Embiid and Prado was just adamant that, Embiid is is not going to age well in terms of how he fits in the NBA and and how the game is changing. So, from what you've seen of Aiton, how did you think about him at all in this top twenty five, and and what do you think he has to do to kind of keep up? I was considering Aiton with that last pick for sure, and yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head. Is like you know we tried to use this list to see where the game was going. I think that you know we put too much stock into shooting big men. And instead it was like, to me, it was like big playmakers. Like, I mean, you basically laid this all out. I was going to say like, you know, Tatum was a guy who we were too low on back in the day. Yeah. Just being a six, eight guy who could be the hub of an offense and to really be like uh, your go-to uh, offensive initiator. I think playmaking is a big part of that. Tatum's improved his playmaking, but he hasn't, he's not, certainly not an elite playmaker like Jokic or like Bam sort of showed that he was last year. So Aiton's interesting. I think that Aiton is, to me, Aiton made big strides last year defensively. I didn't like do a bunch of research on Aiton before I jumped on this podcast, but I think that Aiton already proved that he progressed on a lot of his shortcomings on the defensive end last year when he got back from the suspension that were like the big questions about his game in the pre-draft process. So like, is Aiton really going to flush out his playmaking ability? To me, that would be shocking. Just the fact that he could make serious strides defensively and he's going to continue to need to make serious strides. If he's going to be one of the 25 or 30 best players in the league down the line, uh, that's really encouraging to me. And I think that, you know, already you could see improvements in his game development, in his game, you got to think that adding CP three should only unlock more of his offense. Now, is there a big playmaking jump to come for Aiton? I haven't seen that. You would know more than I would. So I'm curious to see if you think there's going to be a big playmaking jump to come from him, but you got to think, you know, especially with CP three on the roster this year, he's going to be a play finisher not a play creator. 
And those guys do have value still. Like Anthony Davis isn't a play creator. He's a play finisher. And there's a lot of people who think Anthony Davis is the best player alive right now. So uh, I think that Aiton does factor in around like the 25 to 35 spot. And he should be a very good player for the Suns for a long time. Uh, I don't expect him to ever live down being drafted in front of Downsick, But I think that he could play, you know, a role for a winning team. And that's really what the Suns want out of him. Yeah, he's so he's so interesting to me. Because when you look at the guys, uh, the other big men that you guys did put on this list, Davis, uh, Jokic, Bam, Towns, uh, even Jaron Jackson Jr., who finished things out at 25, those guys all have a more obvious dynamic skill, at least one elite skill to their game that that you can, you know, understand why they would be impacting the game at a high level four years from now. And notably, you do not have Rudy Gobert on this list. You do not have, in 2017, I don't believe you had uh, DeAndre Jordan on this list. Andre Drummond is nowhere here. So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see which direction Aiton leans on that spectrum because I don't think we've seen anything since U of A, to, to, since he was at Arizona, to believe that he's going to add a really high level playmaking or even Anthony Davis level playmaking. That's just like exactly what's needed of him based on the amount of attention he gets, but you know, not an initiator, even getting to Davis's level as a, as a playmaker and passer is, is just hard to foresee. So I actually think Davis is probably, I'm not saying he'll get to that point, but that's kind of the way in terms of how he'd impact the game that I think you'd have to be looking for for Mayton in terms of just scoring when the ball comes to him as a finisher at an elite level and defending with a versatile kind of everywhere type of, of defensive ability because of his length and athleticism and everything. So he's not going to be Anthony Davis, but I think he's closer to that than, you know, he's not Bam. Uh, Bam is, is, is far more, dynamic as a passer and playmaker than him. So it's, it's just asking a lot of this guy. Like I said, I think that phrase keep up is kind of uh, where I'm looking with this guy coming down the line. So uh, we'll have to see, but I did want to get your thoughts on the Suns overall this year, as we close the show here. Um, what do you think of the the move to, to, to get Paul in here? I've been asking almost everybody who comes on because I do think it, it's fascinating when teams do kind of move from being intentionally terrible to not being intentionally terrible. And the Suns really kind of put their, their chips in the middle here with, with the Chris Paul trade. Did you think the timing made sense to you and, and what do you think it'll do for them this season? Yeah. Love it. Love the trade. Uh, why not do it? Right. Like you have to do everything you can while you still have Booker try to win around him. Of course, the Suns are going to be hoping Booker stays through another contract but the best way to keep him is to start to win now. And I think that, you know, as someone who lives in Chicago and follows a lot of the discussion around Zach Levine, it's like Booker gets the exact same talk, but magnified even more because he was a bigger name. He went to Kentucky. He's a better player and the stakes around his career are higher. So I think that, you know, CP three was really the perfect move for them. I mean, I thought that potentially the Suns maybe would have wanted to get in on a James Harden trade before the CP three deal officially went down. Uh, but the nice thing about the CP trade is they didn't really give anything up, right? They gave up a future pick. What is it in 2023? 
Is that correct? Sorry, say it again. Uh, the, well, like the Suns gave up what? It was a future pick. Was 2022, big, yeah. 2022 to, yep. is a big, the package. So, I mean, that's not nothing, certainly, but I think for someone like CP3, it's worth the risk. Uh, I look in the West, and I only see three teams that I would definitely put ahead of them, both LA teams and the Nuggets. And then you got the Suns who are going to be fighting with the Jazz. They're going to be fighting with uh, Portland and Dallas, probably. And I think that, you know, if CP can be as good as he was last year when he was absolutely phenomenal, that why can't the Suns take a big step up? We saw a lot of the Suns guys really improved last year. Bridges was great in the bubble. Booker was great in the bubble. Aiton was really good in the regular season before the bubble. Even a guy like Cam Johnson, who I panned when the Suns took him with a lottery pick, uh, he definitely exceeded my expectations as a rookie. You had another one of those guys this year in Jalen Smith, another draft pick that I panned, who will definitely have a good opportunity to uh, prove me wrong and to be another solid piece to a winning foundation for the Suns. So if I'm a Suns fan, I'd be thrilled, man. It's like, you guys haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. You've watched and covered so much bad basketball being a Suns fan. Now it's totally different. And whether or not they have the right combination to win the title, well, I mean, unless you have LeBron, it's tough to win the title. That's the one thing we know about winning titles over the last 10 years. <laughs> sure. But uh, I think the Suns have a really good mix. And, like, you know, ask yourself this. If the Suns were in the East, would oh, they be man. a pick for a lot of people? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh I think you kind of have to go to the best player on the on the team at a certain point. So I might, I might still have at least the Bucks, or but they would be more, much more in the conversation than they are now. And uh, I think <laughs> very very semantic detail here, but they did they did luck out by the league opting not to go to a division heavy schedule because uh, they were going to be speaking of you know teams with players who are better than Devin Booker. Uh, playing the Clippers, Lakers, and Warriors a whole bunch of times would really screwed them, but uh, they might benefit from not having to do that. Yeah, they're going to be a team, I think, that that kind of has the floor to beat up on most teams that are worse than them, and they have the star power now to at least be competitive with most teams. I agree with you. I mean, I think I brought Michael Pina on talking about this when it when the trade first came on and he w- came down and he was kind of completely taken off guard when I said that I thought the Suns could host, you know, be, be the home team in a playoff series. And uh, now I think that's more, as more people look around the league, it's like, okay, maybe like, why not? Because it, it, it's just hard to find a roster that you trust the top eight or so on as much as the Suns outside of those, those very top teams. But uh, I think that's, I mean, like you said, I mean, to go from never making the playoffs for 10 straight years to talking about, you know, maybe making it to the second round or something, you got to be ecstatic. Yeah. And then at that point, it's just about matchups, right? Like last year, we all thought, like nobody thought that Denver would get further than the Clippers. But Clippers, uh, you know, for all of their talent, they had a lot of issues. And I think that the Nuggets were just a tough matchup for them. Like they really had no answer for Jokic. So now you're adding CP3, who might be the smartest basketball player of his generation, the side of LeBron. You got Booker leveling up. You got Bridges leveling up. You got Aiton leveling up. If I was a Suns fan, I'd be super optimistic. Because one, it's like there's 
there's expectations on the Suns this year, but no one's really expecting them to win the the finals. I almost said Super Bowl there. I've been talking too much. Nobody about is expecting them to win the Super Bowl. I, that I, I agree with. I don't think they could. But uh, no one's expecting them to win the finals, right? Like, n- literally no one is putting that burden on them. If they don't make the playoffs, that's going to be a huge disaster, and then people probably get fired. But they should make the playoffs. I mean, unless CP gets hurt or gets bad out of nowhere. So I think that they're going to at least meet expectations. Can they win a series? It's going to depend on the matchup. Like if they play the Mavs, that would be a hell of a, hell of a series, right? Like if they get into four or five or something and it's just going to be fun, you know, and there's not going to be a huge amount of pressure to win in most of the best players besides for Chris Paul are still really young. So I would feel great if I was a Suns fan. I mean, I would love if the Bulls could somehow level up to being where the Suns are and could maybe be a little interesting. Instead, it's like, why am I even watching this Bulls season? It's going to be terrible again. They're not going to make any improvements. They're probably going to get the seventh pick again because it'll be the seventh worst team. And it's just really sad. So the Suns I really respect because they took a team that sucked, that tanked forever, that never made the playoffs, and they hit on some draft picks. And then they made their big free agent addition. So, yeah, I would still probably be mad about passing on Luca because I thought that was a very obvious thing to do for the Suns was to take Luca. So I would still probably be mad at that if I was a Suns fan. But with everything else, I think that they've mostly made the right moves. And even the moves that, uh, you know, people like me thought were bad moves, like drafting Cam Johnson, seems like it worked out pretty well. I mean, I think he went ahead of Hero, right? So maybe not like, I don't, I don't expect him to be better than every player drafted after him, but it's definitely not a terrible pick. He definitely looks like he'll be able to play a role and, uh, you know, give him solid wing minutes, give him shooting. These are all things that are important. So, yeah, yeah I'm, really, I'm really liking the Suns this year, and I think why not? Why not dream big about them hosting a first-round playoff series? If nothing else, it's going to be a fun season to to cover for you and a fun season for the fans. It will be, and that that's uh... – it's all you can ask for, right? It's it's supposed to be fun. Uh, that's a great note to end on. You can follow his work over at SB Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. And uh, hopefully in another four years, we get another top 25 players of 2029 draft to uh, to dive into. But thanks for coming on, Ricky. Cool. Thanks. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.